2: The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro.
1: Thank you, Charlotte. For our guest today, please welcome Kyle Pickett, co-founder and COO of Urban Fabric. Kyle's responsible for the consultancy's West Coast Operations. His leadership has established the firm as an influential community partner and reputable for inclusive technical training and successful sustainability projects. Kyle is also co-finder and executive director of the William J. Worthen Foundation, a 501c3 that conducts research and creates inclusive outreach initiatives on the planning, design, construction, performance, and beauty of of the built environment for more information feel free to visit urbanfabric.com that's urban f-a-b-r-i-c-k dot com hello kyle we're excited honored and thrilled to have you on the modern architect show today thank you for returning we had you before and gosh it was awesome
3: it is great to be with you again tom
1: oh kyle Uh, for our audience we were supposed to have begun what an almost close to an hour ago we have so much (laughs) fun and just great time and charlotte our audio engineer charlotte chime in if you like as well that we finally got our show started so here's what it is. kyle What have you been doing lately with Urban Fabric and any of the other organizations? Because, you know, when I look you up, there's so many credentials and projects that you're working on. Share with us some of the goodness you've gotten.
3: Yeah. So we are a sustainability consulting and communications practice. We're a small firm, which also means that we have the benefit of being a San Francisco local business enterprise. So that means that anytime that there is public work or public money attached to a project, there needs to be an LBE component of that project. More often than not, we are looped in as the sustainability consultant on those projects. So right now we have nine different projects at San Francisco Airport, including the new Terminal One. Center, the Consolidated Admin Campus with Perkins and Will. The Terminal Three West modernization project that just started with Gensler. It's gorgeous. Uh, yeah. Kirsten Ritchie, I know, yes. it was on your show before. She yes, is she's a great awesome. team member um, yes. on those projects. And we're having a lot of fun with what we're doing. And if we can't have fun doing what we're doing, then why are we doing it?
1: Yes. Well, we, we have a lot of fun too. But uh, <laughs> as I shared in the green room, I said, Kyle, you're, oh, let's put it this way, very competent. Okay. So there, there's a sense of you know, high level of professionalism with that fun that you're talking about. Share with us, you know, Why that sort of thoroughness is important to you?
3: Yeah, so, you know, we're really dealing with big issues around climate change. And the only way to get there is to really advance climate positive development. And uh, we have found that by having some fun and having engaging conversations and throwing special events uh, means that we can communicate the value of highly sustainable design to clients that may not be that receptive to it because they generally build at the code minimum.
1: At the code minimum. So how often do the codes adjust or change? And mm-hmm. then how much influence do you have on them changing in, on behalf of a, a more beautiful, better built environment?
3: Well, isn't California great?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> California has the Cal Green building mm-hmm. code. Also in the city and county of San Francisco, we have not only the green building ordinance, but we also have minimums where particular projects would need to hit a lead gold minimum. So that goes beyond just the standard building code and a lot of other places around the country. So so California has really been leading the way in so many different ways around building code, around Title 22, Title 24, in advancing highly sustainable measures because they recognize that the return on investment is there when we build more sustainable buildings and when we build more sustainable district-scale systems as well. Now,
1: the ROI, most, obviously, most companies and organizations, that's their big focus is return on investment. How do you share with them, other than your previous experience, that it is actually not just in their best interest to, comply and get to that gold level, but actually, it's profitable for them. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, if there's a formula or methodology
3: that you share with them? Yeah, a lot of that is relationship based. So not only do we have highly skilled professionals within our firm that could, you know, do the deep technical work, but being able to communicate that value of highly sustainable design, and it's really based upon the relationships that we've had with other projects. I'll give you an example. 181 Mm -hmm. Fremont in San Francisco is an 800-foot mixed-use tower. The bottom two-thirds has been completely leased out by Facebook. The top third is a high-end luxury residential condo. Jay Paul Company was the developer on that one. Their goal, as part of their long-term portfolio strategy, was to reach lead platinum status. So... They have an on-site water reuse system, a gray water system in there, that will save approximately 1.7 million gallons of potable water a year. How Um, much? 1.7 mil? 1.7 million gallons of potable water per year.
1: And that's one address?
3: That is one building. That is the 181 Fremont building. Okay, so
1: so you take that one building and scale it to 100 buildings. Mm -hmm. No, actually for the city center, could you get up into the billions
3: if everyone... Well, I think we would need to do the math on that. Do you have a calculator with you? Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> no, um, I know we're at Stanford here. I, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just round it up. So tr- yeah. even trillion.
3: So I really the the messaging around this is around water stewardship. And so we also do that on the foundation arm of the firm. So... Urban Fabric Inc.'s co founder was Bill Worthen. He passed away in January 2017. We formed a foundation in his name to continue to advance accessible, meaningful professional education for the industry. And water reuse is one of those things that is becoming part of California's ethos. We've been stricken by drought. We just need to be better with our water stewardship or water resources. And by incorporating on site water reuse, proven technologies into building projects. Not only will it help them achieve a higher level of certification, whether it's LEED or WELL, but it will also have these great optics around water stewardship, like that metric of 1.7 million gallons of potable water a year saved for that particular project.
1: Excellent. Share with us, Bill's or William J. Mm -hmm. Uh, Worthen's uh, foundation, uh, the inspiration for it and and, uh, where you are. Currently, with.
3: Yeah, so the William J. Worland Foundation published a water reuse practice guide in January of 2018. This is kind of the crown jewel of the work that we've done. Bill started the work. We made sure we finished it. It was published January 2018. It has since been downloaded over 4,000 times by architects, engineers, policy makers, public health officials from New Zealand to New York. And I've been traveling the country actually educating others about these insights around water reuse and how you design for it.
1: Yeah. What's, the, what's been the response in person? Uh,
3: what we try to do is demystify the technical Okay. And so this kind of information is highly technical, and even wastewater engineers can actually get hung up on some of this stuff. But how do you communicate? The various nuances of incorporating water reuse strategies across the project team is really where the big value is. So getting everybody together, helping them understand the different terms involved, helping them understand what system specification looks like, what is the permitting process, what is the long-term operations and maintenance needed for these particular projects – So while there is, with many sustainable measures, there is an added first cost, but if it's being held as part of a long-term portfolio strategy, the developer will see a return on investment for highly sustainable initiatives into the future. And that will also be reflected in tenants, rates, vacancies, and such. So it protects their investment if they go with a higher sustainable strategy. Oh,
1: You know what? It just looks like it sounds like it's so full circle. Uh, I don't know if that's an accurate word to describe it, especially when you. Uh, well touch back on that. Demystifying the technical. Yeah. I've not heard that phrase. That's. Is that something you've coined or?
3: I think it's just words co- put together. No, you have. Co- I know
1: you. You've always got great uh, description <laughs> of technical projects. So how how do you, in addition, demystify the technical, especially?
3: You know what, and I have to give a shout out to the working group that we had. So there was a working group that was assembled, experts from all across the AEC industry and the peripheral components of the industry to come together and say, okay, what does a design team need to know about incorporating water reuse strategies? And start from the beginning, go through it all the way to the end in operations and maintenance, but demystifying the technical into easily digestible chunks of text, but then using highly informative infographics where you visualize and you can actually see the connections, you can see it. And with that, you have a greater level of understanding whether you are an architect or whether you're a wastewater engineer or a public health official, just wanting to better understand what it means for a public health perspective as well.
1: Yeah, very true. In fact, one of the pieces that you you provided was about a year ago with the water. It was described actually, it actually was kind of entertaining too. Is that by
3: design? Well, I find the story really compelling. Story, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, as an example, this year, I have already shared the journey of the production of the Water Reuse Practice Guide. People also need to understand that there is a personal component to this because Bill started this work and we finished it and people have recognized that this is a product that is meant to lift everybody up. Something that people can apply to their daily practice whether a traditional architect whether they're an engineer focused in sustainability and again whether they're a policymaker looking to duplicate those kind of regulations that we help develop like for example with SB 966 that Governor Brown signed late last year mm-hmm. in other states around the country that are dealing with water scarcity issues. Water stewardship is so important because yeah. it means it water is life. Yeah,
1: it really is. I like that, that personal component because it's, it can be technical, especially when you're, you're working with policy. It's, uh, it's overwhelming. And your ability to make it like that. Can you share some stories of people that were really confused at the beginning and then you, they really understood it, if you can recall?
3: Yeah. Well, I think pointing back to 181 Fremont is a really great example. They had a goal of lead platinum. The only way to get to lead platinum is through some sort of renewable strategy. Solar wasn't going to work. Geothermal wasn't going to work. None of these were going to work. And so when we proposed putting in an onsite water reuse system so they can hit lead platinum, there's a yuck factor uh, (laughs) that ownership (laughs) saw as a potential problem. How do you communicate Graywater water reuse to the buyers of high-end luxury condos. How do you mm-hmm. communicate that? Where is the value? And so there was some initial resistance for the lack of understanding. And so there was a team that went to Australia to kick the tires and lift the lids on some of these <laughs> systems, and it became less scary. So our whole goal and our whole mission here is to really demystify that technical, take the things that are really scary Break it down to individual component parts where everybody can understand what it means to incorporate water reuse strategies and then make a decision if this is actually right for the project going forward. And in the end, Jay Paul saw that and the system is actually undergoing commissioning as we speak.
1: Yeah. How was the timeline, if you can recall, How from, from that sense of confusion or even a negative perceptive negative understanding to a, an acceptance? Do you ever put a timeline on it?
3: Yeah. So, you know, Bill Worthen actually led the conversations around those while he was still with us. Okay. Um, and I would say it was a matter of months from the time that we had initially uh-huh. proposed it to the point that they were all getting on a plane to go down to Australia to actually see these systems in operation and seeing systems in operation, being able to lift the lids and know that it is less scary. There is less yuck to it. All water is recycled water. All water is a resource. We need to be better with water. And then that is actually how it was messaged to their sales team. And so their sales team is using the high level of sustainable strategies, including on-site water reuse, in selling these condos to potential buyers.
1: All nice. right. Now, how about the education for at the youth level so that the, mm. when they obviously become uh, adults and make decisions that you're able, they're much more familiar, Are you? is there any outreach? I am
3: really, really glad you asked that. And uh. just to be clear, this was something that we did not discuss before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, but this is something that we're looking at from the foundation side. So we are looking at a mobile, what I'm calling the yuck truck. So it is, yeah. So it is a mobile membrane bioreactor system, very similar to what has been included in, in 181 Fremont that would be able to travel around the state of California and interface with vocational colleges and schools. We'll need people to be able to service these systems. We don't need a full wastewater engineer to do it. So it goes beyond just the education of like high school science Mm -hmm. classes, you know, around water stewardship, but then also community colleges and vocational schools where people, this is our future. Water stewardship is part of our future. And so, but we'll need to be able to have people that can service systems, and it won't necessarily be the facilities people that will be doing it.
1: Yeah, this is great. You're listening to The Modern Architect on KZSU 90.1 FM. The William J.
2: Worthen Foundation envisions equitable urban environments deliberately interwoven with Earth's elegant systems. Through the power and joy of collaboration, the William J. Worthen Foundation gathers, educates, and inspires practical Action for resilient communities. The value of collaborative design and sustainability practices are one of its focuses. The rapidly evolving field of green buildings and climate positive development require holistic, multidisciplinary systems thinking and teams. This is a new way of working, and the foundation is helping to facilitate the change by sharing our individual knowledge and experiences. They are able to be an educational tool for clients and funders, helping them to better understand how to get what we all need and improve the design process for all involved. All donations are tax-deductible and go towards continuing Bill's mission. If you're interested in knowing more about William Worthen Foundation, go to www.collaborativedesign.org.
1: We're talking today with Kyle Pickett, co-founder and COO of Urban Fabric, now the William J. Worthing Foundation. For more information, please visit urbanfabric.com. That's urbanfabric.com. Kyle, we were uh, talking about bringing this to the youth. Has there been outreach in the past or are you working on that now to get, not before the mobile unit is ready, to just reach out to the youth?
3: You know, so any sort of engagement we feel needs to be done in a very deliberate way to engage with the youth on a level around water stewardship and I think because the youth has dealt with a drought here in California for the last five years they know so much more than what you know we had growing up and so I think part of it is going to be working directly with educators to determine what is the appropriate curriculum based upon their location. It may be different in Marin as it would be in Fresno, but I think as on-site water reuse becomes normal in the state of California. SB 966 was passed this last year. It directs the California Water Control Board along with a collaboration with the Building Standards Commission to standardize rules and regulations for on-site water reuse across the state. And so we're going to see a lot more of this um, in the future. San Francisco really piloted that and mm-hmm. really led the way. But we're going to see a lot more of that throughout the state of California. And I think engaging at all levels, even beyond the design community, into the youth yes. would be a really great way to do it. It would be really teaming up with the educators to determine what is the appropriate curriculum to actually be, to have a meaningful impact there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How is your current outreach? Is it from uh, previous relationships? Uh, how do you reach out to the architect, design, engineering, and built uh, developers to be aware of what you offer and what you how how they can benefit? Do you have a, a system or a program in place? Well,
3: so. We brought in a board of directors this last year that is amazing. They have completely embraced the vision for advancing accessible professional education for the industry. A great group of people from across different sectors. Uh, That's also available on the website, so you can see who is helping guide. We are Moving forward right now with a strategy plan, how do we move forward from here in a really meaningful way to ensure that we have maximum impact? But thankfully, we all have a big Rolodex. Does okay. anyone have a Rolodex these days? No, but, um,
1: but, the, but the mindset is great.
3: But being yeah. able to reach out to people yeah. like Kirsten Ritchie or Lynn Simon or others, you know, and be able to say, hey, you know, and and bounce ideas off of them for how we can actually create a really meaningful impact or an educational opportunity. How much, if you've ever
1: quantified this, personal relationships or just relationships in general, and how much is technical? Mm. I don't know if you've ever put a number to it, but is there a balance of it or is...
3: You know, having the technical acumen to be able to talk the talk and and walk the walk, as it were, and to get projects completed with the goals in mind is incredibly important, having that, that technical expertise. The other side to it is because there are you know, we're all different people. There's people and personalities. And so how do you leverage change within a particular project team to really advance the mission, the overall mission of the team to achieve, say, like a lead certification on SFO Terminal 1? So I'd say it's it's equal importance really is to be able to communicate effectively and to help, you know, advance the project team's goals. Yes.
1: Yeah. So is it, uh, it would sound like it would vary per project, but how about having both of those and understanding that the value of both of them are, is vital. Hmm. What, in, in your experience, can you share a story or two that where that it was more of a personal relationship than a technical or was more technical than personal? If you can think of any, especially if it was funny, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, 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 it, and it all worked well.
3: You know, everyone has a job to do, Right. Everyone has a job to do within the project team, you know, whether they're, uh, you know, herding the cats from a project management support (laughs) services role or whether they are a lead jockey, you know, checking the boxes in the matrix to make sure that, you know, the construction submittals are, are completed, the design submittals are completed, you know, appropriately. But in order to get to where we need to be, sometimes we need to be able to leverage one's own personal relationship to help, you know, advance those kind of goals. So creating connections with people is a really, really important part of the the actual mission within our firm is to is to really connect with people because that's where understanding can come from. And that's where we also get a project completed.
1: Yeah. Now how about when you work with like the state of California and mm-hmm. you work obviously with the city of San Francisco does the relationship and your involvement become deeper as you work on a project-by-project project basis? Or do mm. they, you're just, in essence, in essence, do you become their go-to? Mm. If, that's, if that's the correct word.
3: That's a really good question. So right now, we Urban Fabric has a joint venture with Atelier 10, and we're contracted with the city and county of San Francisco as needed, you know, open contract that any of the city departments can actually access. I've had pretty close relationships with uh, people within these various departments. But, you know, that's also, you know, part of the friendship. So when I can call someone up and say, hey, (laughs) (laughs) I need to bounce an idea off of you, you know, being able to do that is actually enables both of us to do our job even better and be able to get stuff done.
1: Yeah, uh, you, you said friendship, and that's mm-hmm. you see, not associated in, with policy procedures and that. <laughs> 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 How did you include that in there? Not because it's your personality and, and and you want that, but it seems like that is kind of a theme throughout mm. all this. It's not mm. as it, it's not as daunting and as cold as I would perceive most things that are policy related. Why is that?
3: Well. I'll- I think it would be good to take just a step back and recognize that people that may be resistant to specific sustainable initiatives, say like on-site water reuse, people who may be resistant to it, I don't know why they're resistant. It could be a personal connection. It could be something where they don't understand and don't want to actually verbalize that because they're the technical expert in the room. And they don't understand it. It could be a variety of different things. So being able to connect with people on the people side, mm-hmm. you know, and better, you know, get to know each other. That's the foundation I feel that allows us to be better at what we do. That connection, it may not be, you know, a friendship, you know, by, yes. you know, by definition, but being able to have a really good, respectful, mutual relationship where I can call someone up and say like, I have this crazy idea. I want to bounce it off of you. Please keep it to yourself uh-huh. and then be able to say, you know what? Here's my feedback and be able to take that and actually move that forward. I know that sounds a little vague, but no, it doesn't. No, relationships clear. are really a big part of getting stuff done.
1: Yeah. So there obviously is there's, a, for lack of a better word, care.
3: <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I
1: noticed that you, you have a, a high level of care with that. Also with the the, the people that you work with at Urban Fabric and the William J. Worthing Foundation, share with us a bit about, you know, how you even selected them because, uh, you know, what kind of values and culture Mm -hmm. do you have to Mm -hmm. to make them feel like this is where they want to be?
3: Well— We like to have fun, but we need to get (laughs) stuff done. And so Urban Fabric is growing. We are always looking for, for new people, uh, and being able to bring people in that will help us advance our own mission of making the world a better place for our kids and for our kids as kids, mm-hmm. we are at a precipice and it's time that we need to be able to, to get these kinds of things done. And if we can start at a building scale, we can go from there. But educating others on how to actually follow along with us also is a really important part. And that's where the foundation comes in. And that's what our team and board of directors is looking to do is to make a difference.
1: Yeah. When your website is a beautiful website. Thank you. It's, it's, it's uh, obviously informative, but it's also, uh, as I said, there's a certain, like a story being told mm. that makes you go keep looking. Charlotte, I don't know if you've seen their the, the website. Charlotte. Yeah, very you know? nice. Yeah, it is. And it, it's, it's got a flow to it and an interest like, let me learn more about this. Not because uh, I'm necessarily curious, but it makes me want to be curious, which is uh, not an easy thing to do. So is that by design?
3: Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Storytelling is a really big part of what we do. Not only is the story of successful, sustainable projects in the past, but then also how we engage with our clients now and going into the future. We don't want it to be just a one stop for one building. We want to be able to engage with our clients on an ongoing basis and help them become a better firm themselves. And um, in that process, we also elevate the practice and the mission of advancing climate positive development. That's where we'll actually see a difference. We have this one home. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Carl Sagan that said it's just right. one little yeah, blue say. dot, right? Yes. And we have this one place come and say. we need to be able to take care of it. And buildings have a large footprint from a carbon standpoint, from a CO2 emission standpoint, from a health and happiness standpoint. How much of our time do we spend in a given day within a building? And if we don't have yeah. the right daylighting, you know, proper airflow, our productivity also goes down. So recognizing that higher levels of sustainability inside and out health and happiness for the people that are working there actually makes us makes it a better building it also makes people more productive thereby also raising the capital for the for the group that they're working for
1: yeah the engaging with your clients or cities communities on an ongoing basis is there consistently a return it sounds like it's not just a one Okay, we've helped you here. See you guys later. We'll talk soon. It's it's continuous. Is that correct, or am I?
3: You know, that's kind of on a project by project basis and a okay. client by client basis. We have a number of clients that we work with uh, repeatedly. We also have been brought in for specific projects that are really specific to that project. But if, you know, we do a good job, <laughs> yeah. which is always the goal, and yeah. be able to make an impact and and have a direct connection with the project team. Generally, that means we'll loop, be looped in in the future. And that's the kind of work that we really enjoy doing is being able to work with our friends and work with people to advance these bigger, bigger ideas, these bigger goals around sustainability.
1: Are there any uh, tangible outcomes or um, measurable results that you're looking for? Is it on a per project basis or overall? mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean that uh, 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 might be. A little
3: I, more. I could. <laughs> it's kind of an obtuse question. Okay. Um, you know, I, uh, I could go anywhere without yeah,
1: <laughs> We'll go with say uh, measurable outcomes. Yeah. Do you start a project and say here's kind of where we where we want to be in a one year, two year, three year, whatever it is. Do you have that sort of get together and a agree, you know, collaborative mm-hmm. agreement of here's where we'd like to achieve. Here, You know, this is what yeah. we want. This is what you want. How do we help you get there? Is there a, a formula, sort of? speak? We do
3: a lot of work with architects and uh, GCs and okay. owners as well who really set the goals and the structure for a particular project. We're there not only to help them achieve those goals, but also look for ways that we can also elevate it without much... Elevate uh, it? Uh, yeah. Ele- oh. Elevate the, the project to like a higher level of sustainability, help them, you know, recognize that part of that messaging later on will be beneficial to them for their, you know, for their tenants or for, you know, these leases and long-term viability of their portfolio.
1: Yeah. What's changed in your experience over the last, say, two to five years Mm -hmm. in terms of policies, really? Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Well, the tagline for our firm is connecting policy and practice yeah. with the design. So we're pretty deep in policy elements. So most recently, the push around SB 966. I mentioned that earlier. But we are also very involved on in the, the green building ordinance and policies within the city and county of San Francisco. So the, what was the question again? <laughs> yeah, how much has,
1: cha- how much has changed in the last, say, two, two to five years? Oh, you know? yeah. Well,
3: again, thank God for California, Yeah, really, because California has really been a beacon of light. You know, city and county of San Francisco being the one entity that it is, it's had the benefit of being able to craft its own legislations. But recognizing what's happening now within the state that they, you know, we're going to a zero net energy residential code here really, really soon. 2020, is it? 2020, Yeah. Yeah. So how do you get the Home Builders Association, you know, not only on board, but how do you empower them to uh, be excited about it, you know, to not see it as a challenge, but as an area of opportunity where their bottom line also becomes part of the thing and elevate their own financial profile.
1: Super. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. Collaborative design is the baseline mission of the
2: William J. Irvin Foundation. Collaborative design helps connect the dots and bridge many of the professional knowledge gaps that currently exist between today's business-as-usual design practices and those required to successfully meet or exceed high-performance code requirements. Performance-based design helps the AEC community make more informed, cost-effective, and sustainable decisions that create more livable, workable Communities. If you want to learn more about collaborative design, go to www.collaborativedesign.org.
1: We're talking today with Kyle Pickett, co founder and COO of Urban Fabric and William J. Worthen Foundation. For more information, please visit urbanfabric.com. That's urbanfabric, F A B R I C K.com. Calm. Kyle, we were talking about some of the changes in the last couple of years to today. With that, what's your thoughts if you're at liberty to share your thoughts and opinions on that 2020 net
3: zero? Oh, I have opinions. You
1: please share. Yeah. <laughs> please share. Yeah.
3: You know, so there's a there's a big push right now to decarbonize the built environment. So I'm I'll throw out a name. Okay. Um, Panama Bartholomew, he is the head of the Building Decarbonization Coalition, he used to work for the California Energy Commission. So the push right now is to decarbonize and to electrify the state of California. So this will significantly reduce our overall carbon footprint within the state. Also, it could potentially, you know, produce a framework for other states to follow and for other countries to follow, because if California can do it, you can too. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, the next round is architecture 2030. The organization recently sent a letter to governor Newsom encouraging him to take steps, immediate steps now to decarbonize the state of California. It's a heavy lift, not a Ooh. lie, but you know what? It's not insurmountable. This is an opportunity for innovation, not only in technology, but also in policy. And we see this as a challenge that can be overcome and that can also provide, you know, a template for others to follow. And I think it's within the realm of of possibility.
1: Yeah. How do you overcome, at least uh, if you haven't already, even at a social Hmm. gathering, the perceived like, oh, this is really doesn't, I I don't like or I don't agree with it. How Hmm. do you usually address that?
3: Mm -hmm. Well, it's understanding what the root is. Okay. Um, Why is someone Hmm. resistant to something? And. You know, not to beat a dead horse, but going back to the on-site water <laughs> reuse conversation for a second, you know, there, um, you know, back in the the late seventies, a newspaper coined the phrase "toilet to tap." Yes, okay. and it wasn't very attractive. To was not attractive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's really about perception, and people have their own ideas of what things are. So, you know, turning uh yuck into yay.
1: <laughs> Did you come up with that?
3: Um, I think the working group, uh, for the okay. water use practice guide actually right. did that, but I use it a lot. Um, okay. but turning the yuck into yay and, you know, recognizing that where people are and what is the source of a particular misgiving or wh- what is the source to their, their reservation is really the key component to advancing that kind of change and to show, you know what, these things are not that scary. We have the power to do this and we have the technology, we have the capabilities to do these kinds of things that will make a difference for our planet and for for people's children and grandchildren. I know you have children, Tom.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You want it better for even several generations beyond them. I like that. Where, Where are their resistance? Yeah. So do you go into, uh, especially meeting with people for the first time, do you go in knowing that, okay, I'm going to identify what are their resistance, real and, or imagined?
3: I don't think it's as deliberate as as that. Okay. Um, it's really dealing with that as the the need arises. But my entire team has the the knowledge and the skill set to be able to walk into a room and then be able to engage with someone who may have some sort of resistance, but then also get to the source of that resistance. Generally, those kinds of conversations don't necessarily happen within a project meeting because that If you don't understand something, that makes you vulnerable. And so people don't like to be in that position of vulnerability. They want to be uplifted. And so we try to frame the conversation where it actually uplifts the knowledge and uplifts the ability for people to do the job better and to elevate these goals within a particular project.
1: I like how you make it sound, not even sound, uh, is non-threatening. This process, because if you just hear it laid down, whatever, whatever source you get it from, mm-hmm. you have to, I, at least I would assume that there's always a negative, oh, another regulation on here. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's mm-hmm. not like, oh, this is actually for your benefit or your actually advantage even, mm-hmm. but you're taking it at a gut, like, I, know, I guess so, a gut level or a human level. Is that just unique to you, Kyle? Or n- no, it's unique to your uh, organizations and culture.
3: I feel like it is. Connecting with people is actually something that's growing. It's this whole notion of organizational development and really connecting with people at the at the base level. You know, that kind of stuff takes time. So it's not necessarily going to be something that is going to be addressed on the onset, you know, of a project meeting where, you know, a a resistance, you know, is noticed at that moment more observation is generally internalized and discussed amongst our team and then how we can actually advance that conversation forward. Generally, if there is resistance within a particular with a particular person, understanding that source is really, really important. And that doesn't necessarily happen in that first meeting. But I would say that that's not necessarily a unique perspective, but it is something that we do pretty well.
1: Yeah, I'll say going back obviously to your website because that's probably where 90% of the people will go. Once they understand you even exist.
3: Yeah. I mean, we have the benefit of working with a lot of really amazing big clients. And I am thrilled to say a lot of these big, amazing clients come back to us for more work. They want to be able to hand things off to us because not only do we do a great job, but we have a value add to the project team as well.
1: Yeah. How much do you feel like you even add influence their company culture? I mean, that's wow. really,
3: yeah. That's a really good question. I think you're going to have to ask my clients about that. Okay.
1: <laughs> well, t- take a stab at it. You know? t- if, if, if anyone has shared with you that you're, you know, you're, you're okay with sharing with them is like they said, Kyle or whoever you works at your company. I'm really happy that uh, I've been involved and I have a greater understanding of these.
3: Have they, can you share that? We love being able to close out a project and have a team, uh, you know, a team party uh, ah, and be able to close and... out the project and be say, you know, high fives and great jobs and everything along that line. Mm-hmm. The real compliment comes, you know, the following day or, you know, in a couple of weeks from today <laughs> okay. when they say, hey, Kyle. I have another scope of work that's come up. We would love for you guys to be part of it. So that validates us as far as not only the work that we did on that team, the value of the work that we did on that team, but then also what we added to the team as people, as humans. And that, I'd say, is probably our our biggest compliment is being invited to to work with them again.
1: Oh, nice. Any particular challenge that used to be uh, repeated, you know, a challenge with working with a prospective um, group organization that you, like... Man, remember we used to not be have that or something, either whether it was on our website or we didn't have. to. just tech- feels
3: like a trick question, Tom.
1: Actually, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's because I couldn't, I, I couldn't ask her. The, the real question is, has anyone ever said they don't like you? Okay.
3: Yeah, and then And then they said,
1: and then they turn around to say, oh, you know what? I'm really glad I did this.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the benefits of being a really small team is being really tight-knit, not only internally, but being able to freely engage with other various members of our project team. I have one particular staffer that hangs out with other people within the group not only is it kind of a actually I think it's a international living futures collaborative group and so and they have their own goals of of doing good things for for the planet and so this this really dynamic young group of people that are coming up with their own ideas to engage going into the future and it's really really amazing to see these young people. You know, buying together, be receptive to mentoring and, you know, taking the industry to the next level. And that's going to be their job going into the future.
1: Yeah. What kind of people that like to work at Urban Fabric are you actually looking for mm. to be a part of your team and you know that would enjoy or prospectively enjoy your culture?
3: Yeah, we like to have fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know we said before, but really, really, um, because this is really involved.
1: This, especially at at that policy level. Yeah, I mean, you're you're obviously working with people who influence how we live.
3: Yeah, we look for skilled people that are, you know, technically proficient, you know, that can do the scope of work that we need them to do. I mean, let's face it. It is a job description. It is these are things that I need to be able to fill within the firm. But I'm also looking for people that have their eye on what the next thing is. Lead and third-party certifications is the bread and butter of what we do. That is the vast majority of our fee income. But at the same time, you know, we're looking towards the future because we're going beyond the building scale. We're looking at district-scale systems. We're looking at how cities operate, how we can make cities a more livable, workable, dynamic neighborhood where it gets a lot of people engaged. And so looking at these, these bigger issues, this blue sky thinking, if you will, those are the kinds of qualities that I'm looking for in new applicants and new new people to bring into the firm.
1: Yes. And do you seek them out or do they kind of come to you or a little bit of both? A
3: little bit of both. Yeah. yeah, yeah. D- definitely a little bit of both. Thankfully, we have a great group of relate, you know, relationships with other firms that, you know, will say, Oh, hey, I just <laughs> interviewed someone. I don't have an open role for them, but they might be good for you. You know, and being able to, you know, leverage those kind of relationships within the entire community the, within this industry to be able to better elevate our industry as a whole I think is just a really awesome place to be The this industry in the in this in the Bay Area has just been really really amazing and inspiring to yeah. me yeah
1: I like that where you said what's the next thing
3: what's the next thing
1: so you're, you're obviously working on what is present but in your mind is that in the back of your mind is that your personal Philosophy, or it's actually the, the whole organization's philosophy? Well, so what I think, is the next?
3: Thing? You know, we, we recognize that the, we have greater impact when we go beyond just the building scale. So say that again. We have, we have greater impact when we go just beyond the building scale. Okay. So we can do a building by building project. Those are kind of one offs. But when we work on projects that have multiple buildings on one site, say for example, you know, a couple commercial buildings, a couple residential buildings, and they have a a decentralized water reuse plant where it shares that reclaimed water across all of the buildings, do irrigation in one space. Those are the kinds of things that will actually make a greater impact not only on our carbon footprint, but then also on our energy and water footprint too, depending upon the, the goals of that particular project. Yeah. But looking at things beyond just the building is um, is what we feel the next thing to be.
1: Yeah. You know, I loved, I may have said it already, and, but I love that, the beauty of the built environment. Yeah. Ha, did you come up with that one?
3: No, actually, that's Bill Worthens. Bill! Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. Because, you know, Bill was an FAIA. Mm -hmm. He was a lead fellow. He studied in Rome, went to Rensselaer Polytech. And so, you know, really solid architecture school. But what he recognized in his work is that what we do is also beautiful. And so, you know, how that actually factors in. So you can have a Beautiful building, but if it's all fluorescent lighting, if it's all carpet that off gases, you know, and makes people sick, if it's all, you know, very little daylighting, all of those things, well, what's the point of the beautiful building? And Mm. so it's then also becomes about the people. So the beauty of the built environment, you know, we have the external beauty, but what about that internal beauty where it actually speaks to the productivity and to the soul, you know, of the people that's working there? I think is really, you know, a Powerful component and where I like to focus a lot of my attention. Yeah.
1: I like, you said, soul of the people. Mm -hmm. Share with us what that means to you, at least. You know, Uh, and boy, I'm raging on this interview.
3: (laughs) But, but you, you, now you're getting personal. You started, (laughs) you started it. You're not wrong. The the soul of the people. Yeah. 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 Well, we all have needs. Okay. We all have needs. And so when I go to work, I went to have. You know, clean airflow. I want to be in a comfortable environment. The daylighting component also reduces our need Mm -hmm. to, you know, expend energy on, on additional lighting. You know, access to public transit where reduces that carbon uh, component. So it's really then, you know, how do we make people, how do people retain a certain level of happiness and joy within a building when they're sitting at a desk? You know, okay. and being able to integrate these components of healthy materials and and health and happiness, you know, into a project, extends the beauty of the outside of the building to the beauty of the inside of the building, and people, you know, really respond to that.
1: Well stated. This is the Modern Architect KZSU ninety point one FM Stanford Integrated Project Delivery is the
2: modus operandi of the William J. Worthen Foundation. Monthly collaborative meetings provide interesting, complex, and technical information we all need to know about, presented in fun and open format. Meetings currently take place in San Francisco, San Diego, and Missoula, and will soon expand to five other cities across the U.S. Contact collaborativedesign.org for more information and to discuss setting up collaborative groups in your community. That would be design all one word, .org. We're talking
1: today with Cal Pickett, co-founder and CEO of Urban Fabric. For more information, feel free to visit urbanfabric.com, that's urban, F-A-B-R-I-C-K calm cow is there any anything we may have not touched on in the on this in this, inter- <laughs> <laughs> this
3: interview
1: y'all are laughing too
3: much uh well <laughs> part of this is having fun right
2: <laughs> absolutely now i have something that's uh sure, heavy i <laughs> i
3: have
2: to bring this is mother earth i have to bring this back down to earth i want to know if you ever hear of or understand that it's a requirement now, maybe even across the U.S., but in many, many cities across the across all the states, that chloramine is a required, like, a way to treat the water. But chloramine actually is proven to change the structure of the water itself, and it actually is also proven to cause liver cancer. And when you were speaking of like, well, you know, here's it's going to be a hard sell. We've got to go, you know, make people understand about, you know, gray water, et cetera, et cetera. Um, This is something that always raises a red flag for me. Mm. And so if it does for me, then it probably may or may not to others. But I'm always like digging deep to find, you know, just where I've lived on the Stanford campus for maybe over 20 years. And I've watched the whole process of Stanford campus move over, you know, into where everything is, is like a reuse plan. Mm. So anyway, just, you know, little things that maybe... Well, just that one little thing, because we all know what what Steve Jobs died of. It was was pancreatic cancer. And so this is what actually you can go and research chloramine is an issue. And so I I don't know if that ever comes up in your discussions, but if I were in one of your collaborative team meetings, I would certainly bring it up.
3: I think that is an excellent observation. I can't really speak to that particular element that you are referring to. What we do know is that there is water scarcity issues all across the planet. We know that Flint, Michigan, is still dealing with a water crisis. Um, Still? They are still dealing with it. There is a company in Namibia, Africa, that they have been doing direct potable reuse uh, for the last 50 years. So essentially, all of their sewage is retreated and the reclaimed water is recharged with some of the groundwater supply, if I remember correctly, and then sent back into the city for use. And so this is these kinds of technologies, whether it's a membrane bioreactor, gray water, black water systems for treatment, have been in operation for 20, 50 years across yeah. uh, Namibia. Israel has pioneered a lot of technology around this. Australia has done the same. So for my perspective, this is a greater opportunity for a conversation around water stewardship. We need water for everything that we do. Mm -hmm. And water is, you know, water for agriculture, water for irrigation, water for a shower, you know, water for my pasta pot because I love my pasta. (laughs) You know, these things are really, really important. And so addressing concerns like yours is something that is really, really meaningful for us to be able to do and have a real educational opportunity to connect with people on a level that where there might be some hesitation or where there might be some fear. And so if that's happening with you as a sound engineer, that's also happening with an architect that may be trying to design for an on-site water reuse system. And so what we try to do when we go into these conversations is recognize where people are and then meet them where they are and help them actually understand a little bit better.
2: Yeah, so I raised the question because that's really what ultimately, you know, to communicate and get divisive groups to actually come to an agreement is to really understand what's the other other's point of view. That's right. I think there should be no division over anything in this country because we all have the uh, we have the internet. We have so many ways to communicate, and so now I'm really excited about the William J. Worthen Foundation because this is like to me like the like the solution. Would everybody get on board? I mean, you say you've got like you know groups getting ready to take place in Missoula. Well, of course. I mean, did you know that that's where uh, Muskrat Love was written?
3: (laughs) No way. Really? Uh, you know, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I, I,
2: I know that musician and I know that he wrote that. Uh, so in, in Missoula, uh, let's see, moving right about, where are the other five cities? What are the other five cities where you're moving to? Yeah,
3: so those conversations right now are ongoing. I'm not going to divulge you okay. know, what that is happening. But what's really, really important is identifying people that will take this on as a passion. Uh, you know, okay. there's a passion project component to this and engaging with members within their own community to develop their there for people to come together and actually share where some of the hangups are, where do they have their pinch points within their own practice, whether they're an architect, an engineer, a sustainability consultant, or an artist that is focusing on visualizing and messaging sustainability. Oh, fabulous. So getting people together and kind of sharing also allows us to have those aha moments Mm -hmm. and advance each other's practice and each other's messaging around, you know, being being better stewards of the planet. Dominion is not domination. <laughs> so we need to be better with the one home that we have and um, trying to you know set up these various conversations in other markets. I'm not familiar with a lot of these other markets as far as what their pinch points are, but the people that are based there do. And yes. for them to be able to engage with the local communities there is actually a really, really critical component to so if
2: I know if I know five passionate people in five different cities, can I contact you and and them and put you together, and would something happen, or do we have to sort of roll this out gradually?
3: Well, the short answer would be yes, you would be welcome to put me yes. in contact with them. Where that goes from there and how that actually manifests into a group that can make a meaningful difference for the community there, that's the other part of the conversation.
2: Yeah, I think it's very exciting. Yeah. I also want to point out that maybe you, I don't know if you know of the Natural Capital Project that's based here at Stanford, but if you're well aware of natural capital valuations, that would be something that I think you, you all would benefit, The people would benefit from having yeah. that that be resolved as to what is the valuation of, you know, the way that you yeah.
3: want to re- recycle like the water. I feel like that, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like that might have been an output of Paul Hawkins' book, Natural Capital. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a great book, a, a book that completely inspired my my thinking. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. The environment was a big component of growing up there. When we go hiking, what you take in is what you bring out. Um yes. And so becoming better stewards and recognizing that the value of a redwood tree goes beyond just the wood that it can contribute to building a building that you know, could be part of it in a fire zone, you know, Um, that's part of a bigger conversation. But putting a value on an ecosystem, on the biodiversity is something that I think is really, really critical. That that work is amazing. Love to follow it more.
1: Excellent. Well, there you have it. Kyle, it's (laughs) been an honor and a pleasure and a blast having you here. I hope again, you consider coming back. It's been
3: great to be back. Love to return another time. Yeah.
1: Excellent. And to Bill. Yeah, the Swedish
3: Fish. Yep. Let's, oh, uh, yep,
1: cheers. Cheers, excellent. Cheers. I witnessed that. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you very much, Kyle. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Dior. Today's Modern Architect radio show and podcast is dedicated, again, to the late Bill Worthen, an architect and founder of Urban Fabric. Our guest today has been Kyle Pickett, co-founder and COO of Urban Fabric, and he's responsible for the consultancy of West Coast Operations. Kyle's leadership has established the firm as an influential community partner and reputable for inclusive technical training and successful sustainability projects. Kyle is also co-founder and executive director of the William J. Worthing Foundation of 501c3 that conducts research and creates inclusive outreach initiatives on the planning, design, construction, performance, and beauty of the built environment. For more information, you can visit urbanfabric.com. That's urban, F-A-B-R-I-C-K.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, and civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded
2: at Stanford University Studios in Stanford, California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. The recording engineer is Charlotte M. Thornton. Assistant Chief Engineer, Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Hyagi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews with an S at kzsu.stanford.edu.
0: Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for the modern architect.